Connell Tribune, 7th of March, 2021. Charles Patrick Tully, the darling of Celtic Park in both Belfast and Glasgow. If we trawl through the long and celebrated history of Celtic, it's filled with stories of great victories, titles and cups galore. European Cup glory in Lisbon, a magnificent stadium, the worldwide fan base, the Irish and Scottish diaspora, the refusal to take down the tricolour in the 50s, refusal to play in Eastern Europe in the 60s, nine in a row in the 70s, the Hamden Riot in the 80s, Fergus McCann in the 90s, Martin O'Neill in the noughties, and nine in a row once again in the 21st century. It's a wonderful history since 1888, and will only be added to in the future decades. But while we may marvel at the achievements of our great club over the last 133 years, it's not the trophies, medals, titles and cups, which are the tangible evidence of greatness over the period that our focus will always be on although it's always great to see the rewards of our labour. But what makes us dream the dream or make the trip for the red-eye flight or the early ferry is the players who pull on the green and white hoops. The ordinary guys who lived down the street back in the day to the mega bucks stars of the modern era. The players who live the dream which we can only imagine. The boys who really are boys, pulling on that jersey in the changing rooms before a game walking down through the tunnel and onto the pitch as the 60,000 raised to welcome them. Waves to the crowd, the huddle, the kickoff, goal celebrations with the crowd, magical moments, and the victory to the adulation of the terraces. For the players who generally are working class kids from the housing estates throughout Europe, they achieve a greatness in the beautiful game which we don't begrudge. They just live the dream that we all would aspire to. They are the players to whom we have cheered and adulated throughout the decades. They brought our dreams to fruition. The brilliant save, decisive tackle or last minute goal. They've brought us to places we never dreamed of, both, both literally and metaphorically. The heights of emotion and the depths of despair. But in moments of pathos to exquisite delight, they brought us on a journey which made our lives ultimately fulfilling and thrilling at times as they exhibited skill supreme with gay abandon. Spectacular match winning conviction to deliver our dreams. The players in those green and white hoops have made life a little bit easier when times were tough and beyond expression in the good times. As Jacques Steen observed, the Celtic jersey doesn't shrink to fit inferior players. But even more poignant during, during the depression days of the hungry 30s was the defiant attitude of when we had nothing we had Celtic. And Celtic was and is the players. The stadium provided the infrastructure and the fans the backdrop. Albeit in Celtic's case, the support was left, right and centre. But it was the players in every generation who provided us with those moments we'll never forget. Those in the past we've read about and created the history. The players in our lifetimes who delivered on so many occasions. And the present day prima donnas who still continue the tradition. They carry the mantle of what it means to be a Celtic player. And they gave us James McCrory and Paul McStay. They gave us Johnston, Tully, Murdoch, Alden, Hay. And most of the football greats have passed through Parkhead Gates for to play football the Glasgow Celtic way. 
From the very beginning at the end of the 19th century, Willie Mealy, James Kelly, Jimmy Quinn, Sandy McMahon, Sonny Jim Young, Tommy McAnally. In the hungry 30s, Patsy Geller, Johnny Thompson, Jimmy McGrory, Malky McDonald. Post-World War II, Jimmy Delaney, Willie Fernie, Sean Fallon, Neely Mahon, Jock Steen, Bobby Evans, Bertie Peacock, Bobby Collins. In the 60s, in Lisbon, Paddy Kern, Wee Bertie, Caesar, Jinky, Murdoch, Gemmel, Chalmers, Big Yogi. In the 70s, George Connolly, Harry Hood, Dixie Dean, Stevie A, Danny McGrain, Kenny Dalgleish, Lou McCary. In the 80s, Johnny Doyle, Champagne Charlie, Paul McStay, Big Packy, Roy Aiken, Proven, McAvenny, Jackie Jackanoski. In the 90s, Tucanio, Cadetti and Van Oydunk. In the new millennium, Henrik Larsson, Big Bad John, Muratovic, Lennon, Sutton, the Holy Goalie, McGeady. And the last decade, Van Dyke, Wanyama, the Derry Pelly, Paddy McCourt, Tierney, Bruni, Dembele and Edward. Yes, some of the football greats have passed through Parkhead's gates. Amazingly, in the first hundred years, only 12 non-Scottish players appeared in a Celtic jersey. In fact, in the first 50 years, only Patsy Galler from Donegal. Then Cook, the Irishman, and Kenaway from Canada in the 30s. Milne, America, and Peacock, Fallon, Tully, and Galler in the 50s. Then Latchford and Packy Boner in the 80s. All the rest were Scottish. Incredible when you think how international a squad we have now. But they all wore the hoops with pride, and none more so than the player I'm going to focus on, the inimitable Charles Patrick Tully, or as he was known throughout Scotland and Ireland and even on the steps of the Vatican, Charlie Tully. Tully was born in Belfast in 1924, McDonald Street in the Lower Falls. He was born into a divided city a few years after partition, and the Belfast pogroms when loyalist mobs led an onslaught on nationalist areas with hundreds killed and a country divided. A sectarian state that created after the War of Independence and Civil War. For the whole of Charlie's short life it would be a one-party unionist state. Nationalism was a low ebb, but as in Glasgow after the general strike and depression days, so in Belfast, when there was nothing there was always Celtic. In the 1890s, Belfast Celtic was formed, taking the name and hoop jerseys from their more famous Glasgow counterparts. Like the original, they were more than a football club. As Tommy Burns would say in the 90s, Celtic represent a community and a cause. Belfast Celtic would soon become the dominant team in the six counties, and as in Glasgow, they would have a rivalry which embraced the religious divide with Linfield. Their story would be the story of Irish football for the next 50 years, until the day in 1948 when during a riot, the Linfield fans invaded the pitch at Windsor and attacked the Celtic players. Manhandled Jimmy Jones, the Celtic centre forward, over the wire onto the terraces, where they again attacked him and broke his leg. Celtic never played in Irish football again. This was the world that Charlie Tully grew up in when he was 20, he signed for Belfast Celtic. The stadium, Celtic Park, was just down the Donegal Road, just off the falls, but only a mile from Windsor as the crow flies, yet a different world. 
The Linfield support were 100% loyalists from the Shankill and Sandy Row. The Belfast Celtic support from the Falls and Nationalists. The clubs differed as in Glasgow. Linfield didn't sign Catholics as a rule, whereas if you were good enough you played for Celtic. Their rivalry transcended the ages. Anecdotally, Niall Regan, who golfed with us in Dunfanaghy, former proprietor of the Ponderosa in Glen Shane, and who sadly passed last year. His dad, Matt, played with Tully at Belfast Celtic. They were the dominant club by the time they left football and had accumulated 20 titles and cups, including 11 titles in the previous 20 years. In the last decade, their star player was the guy who would take Glasgow by storm in the 50s, one Charlie Tully. He moved to Glasgow in 48, just before that horrendous day against Linfield. Glasgow Celtic had been going through the horrors for many years. Two titles in the previous 12 when Tully arrived and only one title in his 11 years at the club. In fact, only three titles in 40 years from 26 until Steen arrived in 65. And some Celtic fans are complaining after 15 titles in 20 years in the modern era. Charlie Tully was an instant hit at Parkhead, where the fans took to him like they did in Belfast. In his first Old Firm game, Tully mesmerised a Rangers defence. If anything would endear a new player to the Celtic crowd, it was a display like that. He danced and jinxed his way around a dazzled Rangers fullback, just like Jinky would do years later. Tully became a legend at Celtic throughout the 50s. Famously in a match at Falkirk, he scored from a corner. The ref disallowed it, so Tully took it again and repeated the feat, an in-swinging corner which many try but few achieve, and he did it twice. Also in a game for Northern Ireland against England, he repeated the unique trick, amazing stuff. On several occasions he would take the piss out of a Rangers fullback. Like Jinky, he wouldn't just beat his man once, but turn back and beat him again. Also on several occasions when he had a bit of space, he sat in the ball near the corner flag. His actions drove the bears mad on the field and terraces and the bottles came flying on. But that was cheeky Charlie at his impish best. Tully missed out in the Coronation Cup victory in 53, the year I was born, but was part of the team to win the double in 54 with Big Jock as captain. The 50s were lean years in the trophy front for Celtic, as were the 30s and 40s and indeed in the 60s until Jack came back as manager. Still, Tully was a star amidst relative mediocrity. His greatest day in possibly Celtics after Lisbon was the 57 League Cup final, in front of 82,000. Celtic annihilated their greatest rival 7-1, which is still a record score for any major cup final in Europe. Tully provided the cross for the first goal by Sammy Wilson. Mohan made it 2-0 at half-time, but in the second half, Celtic ran riot. Mohan added another, a hat-trick from McPhail, and the final goal from Willie Fernie. As the words of the song go, O Hamden in the sun, Celtic 7, Rangers 1. For Tully, it was a swan song. He mightn't have led up the final, much like Georgie Bess at Wembley in 68, but they played their part in great victories and like George, it would be his last trophy for the club. Two great Belfast footballers, magicians with a ball. Georgie made him in the first superstar in England, but Charlie Tully made a preempted him in Glasgow. 
You know, the more you read about Tully, you can make comparisons with Georgie Best, Patsy Geller, Aidan McGeady, Paddy McCourt. All Irish, temperamental, geniuses with a ball. Prone to a lackluster approach at times, but when on song, there was nothing like them. Stories about Tully off the field were as numerous as, as his brilliant displays on it. He once said to Bertie Peacock, you're the Irish coffee, but I'm the cream. A bit like Cloughy said to Martin O'Neill once, you were a hud carrier, John, artist. John Robertson was an artisan. Or when Tully would be criticised for lack of effort at training, he would say, you don't learn to play snooker by walking around the table. Obviously, Tully would have been a Hurricane Higgins fan, another great Belfast sportsman. Again, when once asked, would he have got into Steen's Lisbon team? Oh yes, I could have taken the corners. But the best story of all, which has gone into folklore, was when Celtic visited the Vatican during a tour of Italy. Tully would even tell the story himself. When the players were meeting the Pope, some pilgrim in the square looked up and said, Who's that standing beside Charlie Tully? Not unlike the story told after that other Belfast great, Georgie Best, after winning 50,000 the casino, staying in the Grosvenor in London, Miss Worldline naked in the bed, and the wee porter arrives with the most expensive Dom Perignon. Where did it all go wrong, Mr. Best? Three Belfast geniuses, Best, Higgins and Tully. They lit up any arena they appeared in. They had a flair for the spectacular and that little bit of recklessness that's in the makeup of every genius. And sadly, they all passed relatively young. On a personal level, I grew up in the 60s in one of the new estates in West Belfast, built to overcome the chronic overcrowding and lack of housing in the Lower Falls. We were too young to remember Tully, but we used to walk down the Donegal Road to Windsor for international games when Georgie Bess was in his prime, although we wouldn't dare go near it when Linfield were at home. We passed by the old Celtic Park, the red brick stone front, red corrugated iron fences, it was an iconic stadium, the home of Belfast Celtic. We played football in the Down and Connor League, and one of my childhood friends and fellow player was Brendan Tully, a nephew of the great Charlie. We played together until the start of the conflict when football became more irrelevant for many of us. My future, my future football career was curtailed by, let's say, ulterior interests, whereas Brendan's was a career in Irish League football. His uncle Charlie by this time was manager at Bangor and he brought Brendan down for trials and that gave him his break into semi-professional football. Of course, with the Tully name and connections, there were suggestions that Celtic were interested, but it never materialised. Although Brendan would have a stellar career in Irish League football with Bangor, Ballymena, Cliftonville and Donegal Celtic and a successful spell in the League of Ireland with Drogheda when they reached the FAI Cup final in 76. Ex-Belfast Celtic great Jimmy McLendon was the manager and brought a group of Irish League players down south when it was dangerous for nationalists to play at Windsor, the Oval or Seaview. Back in Belfast, Brendan finished his career with Donegal Celtic who had taken on the mantle of a club wearing the hoops and the name Celtic. But old habits die hard in the north. Playing Linfield in the Cup at Windsor, the Linfield crowd attacked the Celtic fans and the RUC fired rubber bullets only at the Celtic fans on the cop. Also, a Linfield fan claimed onto the pitch and attacked Brendan. Shades of 1948 all over again. 
In 2021, a junior club has taken on the name of Belfast Celtic again and are working their way through the divisions and hoping to recreate the great name in Irish football in the Premier League. Sadly, the famous old stadium is no more and now a shopping centre. Whether a club were in the hoops and called Celtic are any more acceptable in the 21st century remains to be seen. As 15-year-olds, we used to slag Brendan about playing for Bangor. They were always a small club. We would play on a Saturday afternoon and then he would head for Bangor in the, in, the, in the afternoon. It opened up a career in football for him. I met Uncle Charlie once when Bangor played distillery and I went to the game with Brendan. He brought me into the dressing room afterwards and we chatted to the great man. Sadly, only a few years later in 71, Charlie died from a massive heart attack in his sleep. He was only 47. The darling of paradise in the 50s, Charlie made his way to his own paradise. His funeral from his home in St James's, just off the falls and close to the old Celtic Park, was attended by thousands. The Celtic team who won the European Cup in Lisbon were to attend, but the RUC said they couldn't guarantee protection from loyalists. It was due just, to, just after the 12th and two weeks before internment. But Jock Steen, Billy McNeil and Bertie Peacock did attend and helped carry the coffin along the falls to Milltown. British soldiers who were by then unwelcome guests saluted as the cortege passed. Maybe Royal Scots, possibly some were Celtic supporters from Glasgow. Charles Patrick Tully, a great player, a character, a genius with a ball. He was a true Celtic legend. <laughs>